All right, well, we're going to have Doug and Peggy come up together. Would you give them a round of applause as they come? All the way from Moses Lake, Washington. Praise God. And Peggy's just going to greet the congregation this morning. Okay, hi. This is great. Great to be here. Um, I know Doug was here two years ago. Two, almost three. I'm sorry. Wow. Gosh. Time's going by fast. Um, it's great, really great to be here. Um, this is my first time in Texas, so I'm pretty excited. I'm, I'm kind of funny in that whenever I go somewhere new, I'm just kind of trying to feel out the vibe of the place. And, you know, you hear so much about Texas, about lots of stereotypes about Texas. And so anyway, everything is big in Texas, so <laughs> the highways, everything, but... Uh, great time being here. Uh, Ray and Carol showed us around yesterday. It was so wonderful to really get to know them. We've known, we've known them and seen them at conferences for many years, but really wonderful to get to know them. Such warm, friendly people. Um, so we have been married 27 years, um, going on 28, right? Yeah, August. <laughs> uh, we have four kids. Two, our first two are married. Um, and our youngest is 19, no grandkids yet, but I am pining away for them. But I, I keep silent. I keep silent because that's not good to do that to your kids. No pressure. <laughs> um, so, yeah, great being here. Um, this is really cheesy, but when I was in grade school, we learned lots of American folk songs about different states. And <laughs> the deep in the heart of Texas, <laughs> okay, ring. I'm like, deep in, I know I learned that, this Stars are bright, you know, something. So I went on YouTube yesterday, and I'm, I played it, and I'm like, yes, I love this. Anyway, a lot of you youngsters probably don't even know it. <laughs> we had to learn those songs when we were in school, a lot of American folk songs. So it was stuck in De- Doug's head most of the day yesterday, too. So <laughs> it's terrible. You guys, we can sing it at the end if you want, but no. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much. So, um, looking forward to what God's doing. My husband is probably, I get so inspired. I mean, I've been married 27 years. I know him inside and out. And he's, I'm just saying, God uses him in such a powerful ways. I'm excited what God, how God's going to use him here uh, this morning and also tonight. Um, anyway, thank you. God bless. Now I'm scared great to see you. I, I don't know how many of you were a part of the meetings that we did here about three years ago. It was actually April of 2012. I'm going to change mics now. You ready for me? Boom. I think it's working. No, you're good. Hi. Well, we'll, we'll start again. Hi there. My name's Doug. What's your name? I'm from Moses Lake, Washington. That's where, you know, a lot of people are confused. They think the Bible says that Moses parted the Red Sea, but they got it all wrong. It was uh, Moses Lake where he actually lived, and uh, it's where he parted. Yeah, I know, that's cheesy. So I'll stop right there. How many of you brought a Bible with you today? Good. I did too. For a change. That's a good thing, huh? I want to talk to you today about an encounter with Jesus that a certain man in the Bible had. 
before I do, though, I want to um, actually take a few minutes and, and just uh, tell you a little bit about us, tell you a little bit about our family and our church, and uh, give you the opportunity to, to warm up to us a little bit while we warm up to you. I know when you have a new speaker come in, uh, it's different. It's always different when you have somebody come among you and you don't really know who they are. And, and many times I know, especially the ladies, the ladies are going, I want to know about their life before I hear what they have to say. Right, ladies? Come on. I, I know you might think that's stereotypical, but I find that women always want to know about your kids, your family connections, and all those kinds of things. Men do too, but they, they don't really tell you that. They just kind of, yeah, well, get in the word. So uh, we have four children, as my wife said, a boy, girl, boy, boy. Our oldest son's name is Stephen, and he's married to a woman named Tabitha. And uh, he's 26, and they live in Spokane, Washington. He uh, plays on a worship team of a church in Spokane called Sozo Church. And he's a really gifted musician, plays a number of instruments, leads worship, uh, does whatever he's asked to do. He's a great guy. And then uh, we have a daughter named Sarah. And Sarah lives in Kirkland, Washington, which is right near Seattle. She's actually on staff at Northwest University, which is an Assembly of God school. And she's there teaching English as a second language. So she, uh, her dream was to go to Asia and teach Asian students English, and then she met a dude. And you know how that just messes everything up. And so instead, what happened is she met this guy, they got married, and then Northwest University, her alma mater, hired her to come back right after she'd got her master's degree, hired her to come back and to teach English as a second language to what? Asian students from all over Asia, from China, Japan, Taiwan, um, Korea, and so she's getting the opportunity to teach English as a second language at a Christian university. That's pretty cool, huh? And then we have a son named Nathaniel. Oh, by the way, Sarah also plays music and keyboard and sings. And then we have a son named Nathaniel that is 23 years old, and he's been over on the mission field in England and Ireland with YWAM, with Youth of the Mission, for five years. And he's led outreaches to South Africa, to uh, Greece, and to Malta. He's a musician. He's a songwriter. He's just getting ready to put out a new album in a couple of weeks that will be available on iTunes. And, and he's a really gifted guy. He's leading worship, actually, this morning. In fact, in just a minute, I'm going to ask you to pray with us for our church back in Moses Lake. Um, and uh, I've got to get this thing to work right here. Sorry. You know these microphones that kind of trip with your head. It's not obeying. So uh, anyway, so Nathaniel is... Uh, is 23. He just returned home from England. He's back in the U.S. He's getting ready to move to Spokane, Washington. And uh, he has a girlfriend up in Kelowna, British Columbia, Canada. So five hours north of us is a girl named Jordan, and he's got his eyes on her. And they've begun to kind of court, and we're going to see where that goes. And then we have a 19-year-old son. He'll be 19 this month. His name is Josiah. And uh, Josiah works at Starbucks. He just finished a program up in our state where you can go to high school and college at the same time and you can get, I don't know if you have that here up there, it's called Running Start. You can graduate from high school with your AA degree, your two-year degree. He just did that. He has his two-year degree. He's getting ready to go to Northwest University and uh, he is 19 years old. He's a great kid. He's a drummer, also a musician. They all play music. We've actually had them on a couple of occasions lead worship, just the four of them lead worship on a Sunday morning, just kind of as a treat. Uh, during the holidays and that kind of a thing. So anyway, they're all great kids. Uh, they have, you know, their struggles. We're not a perfect family by any means. They have their struggles and have gone through their hiccups. But all of them love Jesus and are on a journey. And uh, they're trying to see Jesus Christ become their God, amen, their Lord, their Savior. 
You know, you'll, you'll notice in the Bible that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, all of God's men, all of God's people, had to encounter the Lord in their own generation. And Jesus Christ had to become real to them. So that is the, the journey that our kids have been on, like many of your kids are on. And I just want to encourage you this morning, uh, our oldest son in particular, he, he really kind of struggled with his faith for a while, and was trying to find his way in Jesus. And uh, he has really, in the last year, begun to find his place in the Lord after a number of years of struggling, just kind of trying to figure out, you know, how God was with him, how God worked with him. And so if you've got kids that are kind of struggling to find their way and they're, they're wondering a little bit, don't quit praying for them. Don't give up on them. Don't ever, ever, ever quit. Amen. That was a good place for an amen. I hear in Texas, they do good amens, but so far I haven't seen it. So, uh, messing with you. Um, we pastor a church called Grace Harvest Church. We've been there for a very long time. I'm not even going to tell you how long, but it's a long time. I started as a youth pastor and then an associate pastor. I've been the lead pastor for almost 22 years, 21 and a half years. Uh, it's a, a fantastic church. We're making an impact in our city. Uh, we live in a, a small um, farming community in central Washington, and our church is really making an impact there. And we serve in a couple of schools. We've adopted some schools locally. We're involved in a ministry called Serve Moses Lake, which reaches out to people in need. I'm on the board there. And uh, it's just really, really a great church. I have a great team up there. Over the years, I've had the opportunity to develop a number of young leaders that are all coming up and, and really um, coming into their place in God. So we're, we're extremely blessed. We're part of MFI, and we have a lot of good relationships. And that's how we came into relationship with you guys. So it's good to be with you this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to uh, preach the word, minister the word, and do whatever the Holy Spirit uh, kind of leads me uh, and shows me to do. Sorry, I'm really having a hard time with this mic. Stay, stay, sorry. There we go, I think. We shall see, shan't we? Okay. Oh, one more thing. I want to just tell you a quick testimony about my own life. Can I do that? I will be short and sweet, or at least short, well, at least sweet. Um, I was not raised in a Christian home. I jokingly say all the time that I was raised in a good American heathen home. Good American heathen. And uh, my, my real father was a drug addict and a convict and met my mom when my mom was 12 years old. My mom got pregnant with me at 14 years old, had me at 15. My dad was 18 when I was born. They were a couple of kids. And uh, my, my grandparents and my, my parents, while my mom was pregnant with me, they weren't married, while my mom was pregnant with me, um, we're living in Southern California, and one day, they were living with my grandparents on my dad's side, one day, um, some, some drug dealers and a gang pulled up in front of the house and emptied their gun onto the front porch of my grandparents' home, and my grandpa said, that's it, we're done, we're not doing this, and he loaded up my grandmother and my dad and my mom, who was pregnant with me, a little 14-year-old girl pregnant with me, and said, we're going to go see family in Arkansas. So we went from Southern California to Hot Springs, Arkansas, and I was born in Hot Springs, Arkansas. Yeah, I was there about six months and we moved, but I've always been able to say I was born in Hot Springs, Arkansas, and we moved back to California. Anyway, so the first five years of my life were crazy, and my grandma and my grandpa were good Assembly of God people, and they took me to church with them every week, and they prayed with me, and I lived with them more than I lived with my own parents. They kind of cared for me. My, uh, my, my dad was crazy. He was in and out of jail. He was fighting all the time, getting into trouble with the law all the time. 
and he had a serious drug and alcohol problem. And finally, at about uh, five and a half years old, my mom said, that's enough. My little sister had just been born. She said, that's enough. I cannot live like this. I cannot live uh, knowing uh, whether or not my husband's going to come home or not come home dead. That's not going to work, right? But whether he's going to uh, spend the rest of his life in prison or be dead. So my mom divorced him and uh, married a, a, another man about two years later. And my stepfather came into my life and he was not a Christian. He wasn't a believer. He had a drinking problem. And I was raised in a home where we didn't go to church, we didn't talk about Jesus, we, you know, even during the holidays, it was all Santa Claus and toys and Easter bunnies, none of it had to do with Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection, so I didn't hear the gospel growing up, other than taking church buses with friends to go to church, and one time when I was about eight or nine years old, I went to a vacation Bible school, this is to encourage you, I went to a vacation Bible school, and I remember we went through an emphasis that week where they were talking about Jesus, and it was all about pirates and buccaneers, and we got a cool hat, I remember all that. But at the end of the week, that pastor stood up and gave a real simple salvation message. And I heard that message, and my little heart, I was about eight years old, I responded. And I went down to the front and prayed to, you know, Jesus come into my heart prayer. And, uh, and God did something in my heart, and then I went wild as a teenager, and I went into everything you can think of. We began to move all over the country. I went to four high schools in three states. And uh, ended up in Wyoming, up in uh, the northeastern part of Wyoming, near Gillette, Wyoming. We were involved, my, my stepfather was an engineer, we were involved in a coal mining startup. And up there I overdosed at the age of 16, and then we moved back to California, and I went through a lot of other drug problems. I was a teenage runaway, I got a girl pregnant, I went through an abortion with her. I went through all kinds of crazy things as a teenager. I know some of you are probably freaking out that I just said that, but it's the reality of my story. And uh, at 19 years old, my mom and my stepdad went through a divorce. Uh, the family rejected us. And my mom told me that she'd heard that my dad, my real father, and I hadn't seen him or my grandparents in 14 and a half, 15 years. And my, my mom said, your father is in Southern California. And through a series of amazing events, he's down there in Southern California, and he's now a preacher of the gospel. And if you want to look him up, you can. So I looked him up. We set up a time, we got reunited, and I met him at a motel room. Ten months before that had happened, I had had an encounter with Jesus. One, one morning at uh, my, my apartment, I was living with a friend of mine and his dad. They'd taken me in. Uh, they had left. I had been crazy partying. I was out of control in my life. And I remember coming to this point of feeling like I was going to die or something bad was going to happen to me. And uh, right there on the carpet in their apartment with them gone, I said, basically, God, if you're real, would you work in my life and would you rescue me? Would you change me? I don't know. And I remember I tacked onto the end of it because you know how we're all, uh, we all like to make bargains with God, right? And I tacked onto the end of that little prayer. Uh, and if you can help me get a job, I'd appreciate it. So he helped me get a job. A presence came into the room and touched me. And uh, something began to happen in my life. I started to hate my sin. I started to uh, be miserable in my state. I recognized that I was in pig slop and I was trying to eat the husks from the pigs, and I knew this is not a good life for me. This doesn't fulfill anything in me. And 10 months later, I got reunited with my father. Uh, he was a, he's a prophetic guy, real strong prophetic gift. I went down to Southern California to check out his church, and in the middle of a church meeting with a bunch of crazy charismatics jumping around the room in an industrial park in Southern California, um, God just overwhelmed me. And I remember I broke and I wept for about 45 minutes. It seemed like all of my sin, all of my stuff came out. 
Shortly after that, I was reunited with my grandparents. And what I want to wrap it up and, and say in all of this is that every day during all those years I was separated from my parents and from my dad and my grandparents, every day my grandma and my grandpa got up in the morning and they prayed for me by name. And they prayed, Lord, save him, protect him. We never had contact. They didn't even know where I was. They prayed, save him, protect him, and call him to the ministry. What the heck? And they did. They prayed for me faithfully every morning for 15 years. They rose in the morning and they prayed for me. So I just want to tell you something. Nobody is beyond the reach of God. I was out of control in my life. I could not stop doing what I was doing. And the the power of God rocked me and I've never been the same. I I went home that weekend. I flew home on a a car that weekend. I mean on a plane, not on a car. Cool, Very cool car, a flying car, uh, an airplane. And I have never been the same. Jesus Christ has completely transformed my life. Um, and of course I've had my struggles and all of those things, but, but he's been very faithful. So anyway, I just want to encourage you, if you're a grandma or a grandpa, a mother or a father, if you're an aunt or an uncle, and you got somebody on your list you're praying for, thanks bro, you got somebody on your list you're praying for, do not give up. Thank you for this great church, Lord. Thank you for New Life Church and its leaders. Thank you for uh, just having the opportunity to be here, for Ray and for Carol, for the whole team. Lord, I pray this morning that you would enable me to speak your heart and to impart your heart and your mind and your will, uh, Lord, more than anything, to show your people how much you love them, to show your people how much uh, you, you want to encounter them and change them and heal them and restore them and move in their lives and do those things that only you can do. Enable me to speak with boldness and with clarity. Lord, make the word go right to our hearts. Let it hit the target. And Lord, uh, be with my mouth and mind. Help the two of them to connect and be with our hearts, Lord. Show us what to do with what we hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Today I want to talk to you about an encounter with Jesus that a blind man had. And I really want to talk to you about your vision being restored. You know, I, I find as I travel around and I go to different churches... 
and I talk to God's people, that a lot of God's people everywhere are blind right now. Or at least have lost a sense of vision. And when I talk about vision, I'm not just talking about what you do with your life. I'm talking about a vision of Jesus in a fresh way. That we would see Him again. That we would see Him clearly. And so I want to take you through a story. It will be very familiar to you. The story of a blind man who gets healed as Jesus touches him and applies mud to his eyes. And I want to take you through that encounter and some, I guess you could say some insights into what happened to him and apply them to your life, okay? Is that good? Before we do, I want to talk about a man who really lost his vision when it came to his faith in God. A man fell off a cliff and he managed to grab a tree limb on the way down. And he had this conversation with God as he was holding on to the tree limb for dear life. He said, is anyone up there? I am here. I am the Lord. Do you believe me? Yes, Lord. I believe. I really believe. But I can't hang on much longer. That's all right. If you really believe, you have nothing to worry about. I will save you. Just let go of the branch. The man paused for a minute. Is anyone else up there? You know, I find that's really the case with many of us, right? We we say we believe, we say we see God, we, we say we have a vision for our lives and for the purpose of God, but in that moment when we're hanging on for dear life, we start looking for someone else. We start looking for somebody other than Jesus. We start looking to our credit cards. We start looking to a relationship, maybe an illicit relationship. We start looking to an addiction. Maybe it's a bottle or a pill or maybe it's something you smoke or something you shoot. Whatever it may be, you look for an addiction. Maybe it's porn. Maybe maybe you go hide in porn. I, I saw a book not long ago written by a guy who was talking about the addiction to pornography that exists in so many churches. And the name of the book is Surfing for God. And his point is in the book that When men or women, because it's a big problem with women too, when men or women go looking at pornography, the thing they're really looking for is that sense of transcendence that comes through sexuality, that sense of connectedness with something outside of ourselves that does something to us and brings pleasure to us. And as they go out there looking, what they're really looking for is God. Amen. I think it was St. Augustine that said that we are created, and I'm going to paraphrase, but he said we are created basically with a God-shaped vacuum. There's something inside of every human soul that is made for God, and only God fits in there, and He's the only fuel that can cause this engine called humanity to run rightly and to run well. And without that fuel, we will begin to go other places and try to fuel who we are. Our identity, our personhood was created to know God, to love God, to live on God. He's our life in our breath. As Paul quotes the Greek poets, in Him we live, in Him we move, in Him we have our being. And by the way, pagans wrote that and Paul quoted it. Isn't that amazing? The pagan world even knew that they needed God. They needed God. They needed God to be the one they lived and moved and had their being in. So my text today is Mark chapter 8, verses 22 through 26. And if you have a Bible and want to turn there, you can. If you don't, 
have a Bible, I'll have the text up on the screen here in just a minute. But I always like to get people to look in their own Bibles because it makes you familiar. So if you've got a Bible, take it out. Turn it to Mark chapter 8, verse 22. And when you get there, somebody go, woo woo! Okay. Verse 22, it says, And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man, and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand, and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes, and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again. Can you say again? And he opened his eyes and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. This is a trippy miracle. Have you ever noticed when you read the Bible, every so often you'll come upon these stories that you just kind of go, what? What is Jesus doing spitting on people? Come on, don't act all spiritual. You know as well as I do that the first time that you read that, you were like, huh? Jesus is spitting on people's eyes? Weird. Jesus did a lot of weird stuff. I Half the time, I don't understand Jesus. Anybody else ever find themselves perplexed with Jesus? How about even in your own life? I do. I'm like, what in the world are you doing? Well, you're in good company. Even people in the Bible had those kind of experiences. You know, uh, the Bible reader's companion says this, a strange and unique miracle. Why? John Calvin, the reformer, he said this. He suggested that it underlines... That Jesus lived in his own freedom. And it reminds us not to suppose that the Lord must act in ways that we expect or have experienced him to work before. You know, one of the things I notice as I look in the Bible is that Jesus, the God, very rarely did the same thing twice. You know, churches, and, and if you've ever done these things, don't take this as a criticism because we've done them too. But, you know, churches, uh, I remember back in the 80s and 90s, a lot of charismatic churches would do Jericho marches. Anybody remember that kind of stuff? You know, they'd go out to the property or whatever, and everybody would get outside, and they'd march around the property, and they'd do a Jericho march, and then they'd shout, or they'd march around the inside of the sanctuary, and they were going to bring down the walls of the enemy. And, you know, and, and if, again, if you've done that, and right now you're feeling silly, it's okay. I'll tell you what, back in those days, we did a lot of funny stuff. But we do that because we read in the Bible that this guy named Joshua was told by God to march around the walls of Jericho, right, and to shout, and they shouted, and the walls came down. But here's something that struck me every time I read the Bible, and that is that God only did what he did one time. There's one Noah and one ark. There's one Joshua and one Jericho. Even David, when he went into battle, every time he inquired of the Lord, and almost every time God said, uh, I want you to do it this way this time. This time we're going to set an encampment at the back, and, and, and there's going to be, you know, uh, you, you're going to have a group in the front, another group in the back. You're going to wait in the, you know, you're going to look into the trees for this. I mean, 
God was always doing something unique and something special. And in this case, Jesus comes to a man who a man who is blind and he seems to spit in his eyes. And we're going to get into more depth here, but um, that's weird. That's weird. And I just want to tell you, if you're feeling like I don't get what the Lord's doing in my life, I know other people and he's not doing it that way. Why is he doing that in my life? The reason he's doing it that way in your life is because God is on a unique journey with you. You're like nobody else. Your story is different from anybody else that's ever lived in history. Amen. And he's doing something unique with you. You know, we get into trouble sometimes because we compare our situation, we compare our life, we compare our churches, we compare our families, and we say, you know, so-and-so has this going on. The Lord did this for them, and the Lord did that for them. Stop it right there. It's so dangerous. Your story is unique. What God is doing with you is different. It's special. And he's going to get glory out of your life in a way that he's never got out of anybody's life before in human history. Amen. So be encouraged. And if it seems like it's weird and he's spitting in your face, he's going to do a miracle. Okay? So let's look at this process that Jesus goes through with this man in regaining spiritual vision. And the first thing I want you to see is there, there are times in life when all of us need advocates and intercessors. There are times in life we need somebody to intervene on our behalf. Notice what it says in verse 22. And some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. This blind man did not go to Jesus on his own. This blind man didn't seek his healing. I don't know if he was at a place in his life of such deep discouragement that he didn't even have the energy to get up and move toward him. I don't know what his circumstance was, but some other people had to intervene on his behalf. Here's my challenge to you as a church. I want to challenge you as a church to strive to be a church that helps people get to Jesus so they can be touched by Him and healed by Him. Be an advocate, be an intercessor, carry people to the Lord. Amen? Amen. Now, it's easy to say amen, but I want to tell you something. Many times we can get stuck in certain kinds of tradition or the way we do things or the way we view people, prejudices that can exist in our life and we don't even realize it, but we're barring people from getting to Jesus. We're stopping them. We're putting stumbling blocks in front of them and we're keeping them from the presence of the Lord. And my challenge to you is whatever you have to get over in your head, whatever you have to get over in your heart, whatever it is that would stop people from getting to Jesus Christ that's in your life, Make sure you get that dealt with in the presence of God so you can become a church that is able to grow, reach new people, touch lives, and see people healed because you're a church that brings them to Jesus. Amen. Secondly, Jesus often heals and deals with us privately and relationally away from the crowds. I love this section. Verse 23 says, He took the blind man by the hand, I love that, huh? And led him out of the village. He took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. You talk about personal. That's beautiful. Jesus, he, you know, the friends came. He, he was like, you know, thank you for bringing him. Uh, now I'm going to walk with him alone. Come on, man. Take my hand. 
And let's get away from the people. Let's get away from the people right now. Let's withdraw. And let's go get alone, just you and me, so I can do a work in your life. He took him by the hand and he led him outside the village. That's beautiful. Constable's note says that Jesus may have led the man outside of Bethsaida so he could establish a personal relationship with him and perhaps avoid publicity. The man's willingness to follow Jesus demonstrated faith. This was evidently one of only three miracles that Jesus did in private that Mark recorded. In all three cases, some of the disciples were present as witnesses. But that's it. You know, I I think about this. I think about the way the Lord has worked in my own life. Some of the most profound and impactful times have not been in services. They've not been in times with a good public anointing. They're not at a conference with a great speaker. They're alone with Him. And, And sometimes it's just, you know... I'm in the shower, or I'm taking a walk, or I'm doing something, I'm driving down the road unexpected, and boom, God talks to you, deals with you, heals you, touches something in your heart, speaks to you when you least expect it. And you know, sometimes he says to us, come on, let's, let's go outside the village for a little bit. And some of us are like, wait, wait, I'm too busy. Let me just challenge you. If you hear the Lord subtly reach over and touch your hand and say to you, come on, let's spend some time alone. I'll tell you what, there is nothing more important, more special in the whole wide world. That game can wait. Praise God for DVR. Right? That thing you're doing can wait. Walk with him outside the village. The other thing that strikes me, and I'm going to just touch on this quickly, is that, you know, we live in the land of image and promotion. There is no culture in the history of mankind. I'm I'm kind of a a closet historian, I guess you could say. There's never been a culture in world history that, of course, because of technology, that is more image-based, promotion-based, marketing-based than our culture and our time in history. And even in ministry, it's all about boom, bang, lights, action, camera, smoke. Yeah, and, and, and everybody out there is doing all they can to promote their brand, to promote their image, and to get publicity. You know, I, I am just, I have a suspicion that if Jesus Christ showed up in the flesh in our country right now, we would probably be shocked to find out that he did not have a TV program. Some of you might disagree with me, but I'm going to tell you something. I notice a pattern in the life of Jesus over and over again, and that is when the crowd started trying to make him a king, when the crowd started telling him how great he was, when the crowd started stepping up and beginning to do something to intervene, to lift up his brand and make his name great. And and, and the reason was because they had all the wrong reasons. He would do something like slip through the crowd and go outside the village. He would go hide. He would go incognito. He avoided the publicity. He was not a self-promoter. He was there to glorify his father and do his father's will completely. And he knew that meant death, dying, a cross, a bloody Roman torture device. He knew it. And that's what he embraced. The third thing I want you to notice is that he works with each of us in an individual and a unique way. It says, and when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him. Wow. Wow. Talk about unique. He works in our lives, and I touched on this earlier, in an individual and unique way. 
Again, Constable's notes, um, a reference I go to, the English translators permit a rather unpleasant interpretation of what Jesus did, namely spitting in the man's face and placing his hands on his head or shoulders. The Greek text encourages us to interpret the data differently. Probably Jesus applied a small quantity of, his, of spittle, his own spittle, to the man's eyes. I don't see Jesus going, you know, getting the guy up close to him and going, poof. I know that's graphic. Some of you probably just got offended. Get over it. But he probably just kind of, you know, he spit on his hands and he applied them to the guy's eyes with the spit on his fingers. The action would have made it clear to the man that Jesus was restoring his vision. Perhaps even the saliva told the man that his healing came from the mouth of Jesus. And think about the implications of that. Jesus is the word made flesh. Jesus is the exact representation of God. He is the explanation of the heart, the mind, and the will of God. If you ever wanted to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. And now Jesus, the word, the explanation of God, the illustration of God, the picture of God to the world, the icon of God to the world, is applying spit to the man's eyes that comes from his own mouth. The reason this is profound is because in the Old Testament law, human spit was considered unclean. And if somebody spit on you, you had to go through a process of getting cleansed. And you, here we have Jesus once again kind of redefining what the law meant for the purpose of healing a man and restoring a man. And then he laid his hands on him. And laying his hands on him continued the process of healing. He smeared the saliva and upon his eyes and touches him. And, and here's the thing that I love about this. Jesus touches people. He touches people. You know, I'm learning a lot about the grace of God in my life. I've been a Christian for a long time. Grace rocked me. Grace has sustained me. And grace will bring me to the finish line. But I want to tell you something I'm learning about the grace of God. It is so much more extravagant, so much more wasteful, and so much more prodigal than I could ever imagine. Prodigal means wasteful. You know, we look at the story of the prodigal son. The real story is the prodigal God, the prodigal father. The father who gave it all and then stood on the edge of his property every day waiting for his son's return. I'm learning something about God. God's way more extravagant and loving with us than we could ever begin to hope or imagine. Amen. Isn't that good news? He wants to touch us. He doesn't distance ourselves. I've talked to people over the years. They say, you know, I can't go to church. Why? I just don't feel worthy. Why? I don't know, I've been sinning, I've been blowing it, I've been doing stupid stuff, and I just don't feel worthy to come into the presence of God and worship. And I'm like, are you kidding me? The presence of God in worship is what you need. When we sin, we don't run from the cross, we run to it, we embrace it. We say, Jesus is enough, His blood is enough, His sacrifice is perfect, I can't add one thing to it. One more day of walking around in self-flagellation, beating myself, telling myself I'm a horrible human being. I don't deserve to come into your presence. One more day of self-condemnation is never going to pay the price for my sin. Only one thing paid the price for my sin. The complete and finished work of Jesus of Nazareth. You can't make, you can't do anything to, to add to that. He lays his hands on us. He touches us when we're dirty, when we're sinners, when we failed, when we've fallen. He comes toward us. The whole gospel is the story of God running to man. Chasing, pursuing, never giving up. 
Wearing us down with love. Overcoming us with irresistible grace. That's gospel. Religion says work your way to God. Build a ladder. Put another block of your own goodness up there. Show God how righteous you are. Show God how good you can be. Perform, perform, perform. Oh man, if you've ever gotten in that trap, you know how tired it makes you. It just wears you out. It'll kill you. You can't add to what Jesus did. Jesus wants to touch you. I love that over and over in the Bible, you know, to lepers, to, to people that, prostitutes and people that would have been considered unclean and unapproachable, outside and marginalized and hated by the culture and looked down upon Jesus, moved toward them. He moved toward them. He touched them. He loved them. Amen. Jesus wants us to tell him next what we perceive. I've always thought it's interesting that Jesus asked him, do you see anything? Do you see anything? I want to ask you, do you see anything? Some of you, you used to see. Some of you, you you used to have vision. You used to have a sense of purpose. You used to be able to see people through God's eyes. You used to be able to see God at work. But something has happened. You've been discouraged. You've been wounded. Somebody has failed you. In your estimation, God failed you. And you're blind now. You need a healing touch in your life now. Do you see anything? It means to see, understand, perceive, and be aware. The word actually means to look into. What do you see when you look out there? What do you see when you see people? You know, one of the things that happens, one of the things that tells me that I'm beginning to get blind, I'm beginning to experience a certain spiritual blindness, is the way that I start to view the people around me in my life and the way I view God. If I see God as he's mad at me, he's the big heavy, he's disappointed in me. If I begin to view him that way or I start to look at people through critical eyes, I start to look at, at, you know, in in the church many times it's leaders or brothers and sisters around us and we recognize there's something out of our heart that connects to our eyes because in the Bible the eyes and the heart are always connected. Something in the way that I am seeing people and I'm seeing God is It's dirty, it's unholy, I just, I can't find anything good. All I can find is what's wrong. If that's happening to you, I want to tell you you're sick and you need the Lord to heal you. You need a healing of your vision. Do you see anything? And then the next point is that the first stage to spiritual healing and perception is to look up. Verse 24 says, and he looked up. I love that, and he looked up. (laughs) Three, four simple words, and he looked up. Spiritual perception and vision always begins with us looking up from our downcast ways and beholding God, people, and our world. The word means to look up, perceive, to lift your eyes from the ground, to look at a distance and a distance upward and outward. It's like the idea is almost to to come to a place where you're able to look at something that's majestic and beautiful and big and huge like God and see again. You know, I think it's interesting in the Bible on many occasions, God tells people to look up. Abraham, he he says, get outside your tent and look up. Go outside, Abraham. Get outside that little enclosure that you're in. Walk outside and look up in the sky. Look at those stars and let me begin to show you again what I want to do with your family, what I want to do in the nations, what I want to do in every family of the earth. I am telling you to get outside and look up again. You know, sometimes this can even happen in our personal lives. 
I remember one time I was really going through some things in our church and I was struggling and I was battling with stuff. I was discouraged. I was driving down the highway and I was just, you know how you get, I was just looking straight ahead and my mind was going and I wasn't aware of anything around me. And I don't know what prompted me to, I I guess it was the Holy Spirit, but I looked up at the sky for a moment and I recognized these big billowing clouds and I saw, you know, behind them the blue and the sun breaking through and I started to kind of check out the vista all around me as I was driving down the highway and the majesty and the beauty and the glory of God shone through His creation and it was as though God spoke to me and said, take another look. And I uh, instantly almost, I came out of that focus, that uh, uh, distress, and I, wow, God, you're amazing. When's the last time you looked up at God? Just a thought. And then the next thing that happens, and I'm, I'm, I'm winding down here, I'm moving toward the end, but the next thing that happens is that when we see what God wants us to see, often it's partial and it's not complete. And this is where people get confused. It says that I see men, but they look like trees walking. They look like trees walking. When our spiritual blindness is first being healed, we'll often see people and God and the things around us, not as they really are, but sometimes as objects even to build our own life. We'll look at them simply as objects. And, and, and here's the thing. If you know somebody that's going through the process of spiritual healing in their vision and they're being restored and maybe right now they don't see everything clearly or that's where you're at. You're not seeing everything clearly. It's still a little bit foggy. There's a little bit of confusion. You're unsure. It's okay. You hold on. You just wait. Jesus is going to complete what he started in you. He's not done yet. And you be patient with your brothers and sisters as well, Okay. The fact that they're even starting to see something is a victory. Especially if just a short time ago they were seeing nothing. Amen. We all see a little different. Jesus doesn't, the next point is Jesus doesn't give up on us until we clearly perceive and we see completely. Verse 25, then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again and he opened his eyes and his sight was restored and he saw Everything clearly. I love that. He laid, and here's the other thing, he laid his hands on his eyes again. Jesus is making contact again to illustrate to the man that it is he who is the key to regaining spiritual vision and proper perception. I love this. Jesus doesn't just touch us once. You know, I was telling the Lord recently, Lord, in my early years as a Christian, you touched my life in such profound ways. And I'm not, it's not that I'm looking to regain something from the past because I'm, I'm way beyond there. I'm much further down the road. But I still need to be touched again. You need to be touched again. We all need a fresh touch, amen? And I just, I'm so encouraged by this particular text because Jesus didn't just touch him once. He touched him again. He touched him as many times. If it had taken 50 times for this man's sight to be restored, Jesus would have touched him 50 times. Is that good enough? Do you see yet? No, not quite. How about now? Not quite. Okay. Well, I'm getting close. Keep going, Jesus. Touch me again. Oh, yeah. Better. Better. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. (laughs) Right? He doesn't quit touching us until our sight is completely restored. He's going to lay his hands on you again. He's going to touch you again. He's not going to give up on you. That's a good place for an amen. And it says he opened his eyes. And this is a word, diablepo, and it, it means to 
see it clearly, to penetrate by vision, to look fixedly upon, to stare straight, to see clearly. He opened his eyes. It's almost like his eyes were partially open, but suddenly they went, you know, and he saw, wow, now I see people, not just trees. I see people. His sight was restored. He saw the way God intended him to. His vision was restored. Jesus completely healed. And the scripture says, and he saw everything clearly. And that word, again, it means to stare. And to look at with the mind, to consider, to turn your eyes upon, to take everything in. The picture here is not just that he could see people clearly, but that he could see everything beyond the surface. He went beyond the ability just to recognize that these are people. Life meant something again. He saw people and God and his world through eyes that had been healed. He was able to perceive clearly again. And the Lord wants to do that in some of us today. Amen? And uh, I'm almost done. My last point. And, and it might seem like it kind of is a, a, a tag on or just an addition, but it's so important. And it says, Jesus sent him to his home saying, don't even enter the village. He took him outside the village to heal him. And after he healed him, he wouldn't send him back to the village. Sometimes he wants us to keep our new spiritual perception to ourself and he doesn't immediately want us to go out there and tell everybody what we see. It's really important. Really important. Sometimes our revelations and our spiritual insights need time to become a part of our life and practice. They are best put into practice in our homes. They're best put into practice with people that have our best in mind. Sometimes people go about bragging about their spiritual experiences and then they get hurt when others don't understand or relate. Have you ever done that? You know, we pull a Joseph. I had a dream. Y'all were bowing down to me. And we expect everybody to go, that's cool. And pat us on the back. No, people start wanting to kill you. Throw you in a pit. Like they did with Joe. Nobody cares at that moment. Especially people that are going through their own struggles and their own difficulties. And you come and you're like, you know, I had this vision. I went to the third heavens. Jesus and I were hanging out. He was giving me all what really is going on in the book of Revelation. And he told me about, you know, the seven porn on the... Yeah. And people are like... So what? Keep it to yourself. And often, it's the purpose of God to use these encounters to reveal his person to us and to change our lives so we'll be more like Jesus. And the best place for that, ha- that to happen is in our homes, not out in the village. Amen? Make it work in your home. Let your new vision work in your home, with your family, with your children, with your spouse. Let God touch you. Don't even go to the village. Don't go there. The Lord knows the village will hurt us. We're not ready. We need Him to heal us and then make it work in our day-to-day living, in our day-to-day life. Amen. That's what He wants to do in our lives. That's what He wants to do in some of you. You know, I, I feel to close today like there are some of you here that really, really need your spiritual sight restored. You need a healing touch from Jesus. Maybe physically, but spiritually or physically. 
Some of you, you're in your relationship with the Lord. You've, you've become blinded. You don't see anymore what he wants you to see. You've become discouraged. Um, you, you see people. You see family members. You see your world around you. Maybe you've become so negative that your job, your life, everything around you takes on just an ugliness to it. A darkness to it. You can't even see. Your, it's as though you're blind to seeing the vistas of God and the goodness of God. You need the Lord to touch you and heal you. Amen. I believe the Lord wants to do that. And I don't know if we have if we have music or I don't I don't know how you normally do it, Pastor, but we can we can transition at this stage. I just want to flow with uh, what you want to do. And listen. I'm not trying to be self-promotional in saying this, okay? So please don't take it that way. But can I encourage you to come back tonight? And can I encourage you to bring somebody? Invite somebody? And, and we'll just, we'll see what the Lord does. Um, I'm, I'm going to believe God for, for healing and salvation. And I'm going to believe God to touch some lives and for, a, I don't know, a prophetic flow. I don't know. I don't know what the Lord's going to do tonight. I have a sense I kind of have something continuing along this line, but but I would encourage you to bring somebody. I've been just believing God every week in our church for people to come to Christ. And, um, you know, every week, just about every week, we're seeing people come to the Lord. And you start putting your faith out there and, and giving that call and making that opportunity and getting, you know, you as a congregation to get into the culture of inviting, inviting, including, and inviting. Believe for it. Let's ask God to do something tonight. Amen. You know, if you let's believe God for some miracles. Let's believe God for some breakouts, some life change. But I want to ask you to do something with me right now. Just close your eyes right where you are. And church, I want to tell you, as you as you just keep your eyes closed for a moment, I want to tell you, the Lord is crazy about you in a good kind of way. He loves you passionately. He's not mad at you. You might say, but you don't know what I've been into. You don't know what I've been doing. Yes, but the Lord does. He's not shocked. He's not surprised. And he doesn't want to reject you. All of your trying has got you nowhere. It's time to trust and to yield. It starts with just clinging to the cross and what Jesus did there. One of his last things he said was, it is finished. Not, it's almost done. It is finished. You need to know that. Today is a day for some of you that are blind to be healed. Now just... Keep your eyes closed for a minute. But if you, if you would say to me, boy, this message has spoke to me and I, re I realize that I'm not seeing clearly and I've been blind in my vision and I've lost hope and I don't see people or God clearly and I, I need God to touch me and heal me and to do a new work in me and begin something in me. If that's you and you're willing to admit it, you're willing to go there, will you just let me see your hand? Awesome. Awesome. Thank you. All over the room. Thank you. Now I want to also ask this. If there's any of you that are here and you'd say to me,
I don't really know Jesus, but I want to. But I've never really committed my life to him. I've never turned my life to him, but I want to. As you've been speaking today, I, I believe that God's calling me. I believe that God wants me to come to him. And I, I want to start to follow Jesus Christ today. I want him to forgive my sin. I, I'm, I'm ready to quit thinking the way I've been thinking and trusting myself to save me. I'm going to trust Jesus alone. I, I believe he died on the cross for my sin. I believe that he rose from the dead. I believe that he's the Lord. And I want him to be Lord of my life. And I've never done that before. I want to pray and I want to receive him. If, if that's you, if you're here and you'd say, I want to receive Christ today for the first time in my life, would you be willing to show me your hand? Would you be willing to be bold? Would you be willing to step out and say, I need Christ. I need Jesus right now to be my Savior and my Lord. I'm ready. I'm ready to turn to him. I'm ready to follow him. Anybody here? You just say to me, I want to follow Christ today. I want to start today. Anyone at all? Maybe you're here today and you'd say, you know, I've followed him in the past, but I've wandered away and I've got into some stuff that I'm ashamed of. But I want to repent. That means to change your mind, to quit your stinking thinking and to embrace what he believes and says about what he says about you. If that's you and you say today, I want to recommit my life to Christ. I want to come back. I've been like a prodigal wandering out there, but I'm, I'm coming toward the house and I'm done with living for myself and I want to live for Jesus now. And you'd say, I want to come back to Christ today. I want to turn to him today. Is there anybody here that that would be you? I want to make a recommitment of my life to Jesus. Okay, I see your hand. Anyone else? Anyone else? Okay, awesome. Awesome. It's a good day. It's a good day. It's a day for homecomings. It's a good day. Thank you, Lord. Maybe you're here today and you'd say, I just need a healing touch in my body. I need God to do a miracle inside of me. And I want to start. um, I want to trust him for it. I want to ask him to. I want to ask him to begin that process and even bring it to fullness today. If that's you, raise your hand up. Let me see your hands. Oh, good. Goodness gracious. Thank you, Jesus. All right. Let's do something right now, church. Let's all stand to our feet. If you raised your hand for your spiritual vision to be restored, if you raised your hand because you want to come to the Lord, Uh, nobody raised their hand to come to Christ for the first time but even if you didn't and you'd say to me I want to you can come too if you raised your hand uh, what was the third one the third one was to recommitment a couple of you raised your hand for a recommitment to Christ Um, if you raised your hand for that or if you raised your hand for physical healing we're going to go into a worship song here in just a minute okay and when we do I just want you to come and, and line up up here and I don't know if you have a ministry team, Pastor. Um, we can work with the ministry team. We can do both. But we want to get other people involved. Now, listen, if you're on the ministry team, but you raised your hand, receive ministry first, okay? Receive ministry, and then you can take what you freely received, and you can freely give it away. But we're going to go into worship. And if you raised your hand for any of the reasons I just gave, and listen, if I didn't cover something you want prayer for, you come too, okay? But let's believe God. Remember... It's because Jesus is here, not because I'm here. It's because Jesus is here. The Holy Spirit indwells all of us. We've all got miracles inside of us just waiting to be released, okay? I'm not a special guy. I'm just an average guy from Moses Lake, Washington. But I want to pray for you. So God's going to touch your life and minister to you. Let's worship the Lord. Thank you, David. Thank you.
This love is so deep. 